Seems like I haven't seen you since last year. Dad joke alert. It's all right. Thank you. I count on that. Would you uh, join me, please, in a uh, prayer as we uh, prepare our hearts, our minds, and our souls to receive uh, from God's Word today? And um, as you're preparing for that, we're going to be looking at Psalm 1 in just a few moments. So Psalm 1 is our text, uh, but let's pray first. Lord Jesus, thank you for being here with your people. Thank you that you are here in this place, that you are just as present as any one of us. Lord, I thank you that um, not only are you present, but you're active, that you're speaking, that you are working, that you are creating. And so, Lord, create in us today new life, new hope, new possibilities. Uh, Create in us a little bit more of the person that you have intended us to be. Help us to become more like you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so Psalm 1. It's getting increasingly dark up here. I was counting the other day. We have more uh, stage lights burned out now than we have functioning. So uh, if it seems a little dark, you're okay, you're healthy, everything is good. Uh, it's the, it is um, the lights. Okay, Psalm 1. Here's, here's, what, here's what we say. Uh, blessed is the man, or blessed is the person, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. Right? Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the seat of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, uh, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We'll ask God to bless this reading, his holy, inspired word. Amen. All right. From holy, inspired word to uh, balloon activity. So I have some <clears throat> nine or ten balloons here. I need some people who know how to blow up a balloon. I'm thinking maybe right across the front row would be a good a good way to go. All right. So let's just see. Some of these balloons might be a little bit decrepit. So when you're blowing them up, um, don't inhale, right? They might uh, blow up in your face. These are clean balloons. They're, they've never been used. All right. So you're going to, so oh, I know you in the balloon games. I've seen, I've got only one left. So you have to, you can play. Okay. So go ahead and um, this is what you're going to do. Um, stand up. You're going to, okay, so this is going to be like a balloon race. So um, blow up the balloon and just keep it pinched between your fingers. All right? Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fire away. There you go. All right. All right, keep it, okay. Okay, just keep it pinched. Hold on to it. All right, now turn around. We'll, we'll do it this way so that everybody can. All right, so the goal is... Uh, to, to, to have a race, okay? And so the race is to see um, who can get, let's say to me, fastest. With your, so you're going to let your balloon go, and they're going to race here to cross the finish line. Okay? So ready? You're going you're gonna to aim your balloon, you're going to let it go, right? 
Go ahead. All right. All right. Excellent. That was that was actually better than I thought it was going to be. Have a seat. So, so, so how many of you thought that went just about how you expected it was going to go, right? So what's the what's the problem with the balloon race, right? There's a there's a certain limitation with balloon race. So I used to have a friend who was a chaplain at the uh, Air Force Academy, and uh, the balloon race problem always reminds me of what uh, my friend used to say about the cadets who would come to the Air Force Academy. And he would say, the cadets who come to the Air Force Academy are all thrust and no vector, right? Uh, right? They're all thrust and no vector. What does that mean? It means that they have lots and lots of power, lots and lots of energy, but they have no uh, meaningful or purposeful direction. They don't have a rudder, right? So lots of power, lots of energy going on, but no rudder to steer it, right? So it's sort of like a balloon race with the balloon uh, exerting lots of energy, but no uh, clear purposeful, meaningful direction, right? You can't make a balloon go across the finish line. So as we begin a new year, uh, I just want to keep that image of that balloon race in our mind, right? I want to think about all thrust and no vector. And what I, and what I want to say is, um, let's revisit together for just a minute uh, the value of a vision and a mission. Uh, I want to revisit, the beginning of this year, the value of having a vision and a mission. Vision and mission are what help us to keep from dumping lots and lots of energy into the wrong thing. Vision and mission are what help us to, um, um, to be purposeful and meaningful instead of aimless and rudderless. Put it another way, vision and mission are important because busyness is not the same thing as effectiveness. Busyness is not the same thing as effectiveness. And activity... It's not the same thing as growth. So that's true when it comes to an individual, right? Just being busy doesn't necessarily mean that you're being effective at anything. It's true when it comes to a family. Uh, it's true when it comes to your work organization. And it's true uh, when it comes to a congregation. And so um, in an effort to not just be like a balloon race, uh, we have a vision and a mission here at Midland Reformed Church. And uh, it lives out on the wall in the lobby, and I wanted to just put it in front of you again. So, you know, whenever you walk into the building, just take a peek at the vision and the mission. Just remind yourself of what it is that we're about, right? What is, it, what is the purpose and meaning uh, that keeps us moving in one direction together? And so the way that we describe our vision is right in the, in the bullseye on that on that um, banner, right? It says, loving God, loving neighbor, and leading change. There's our vision. Loving God, loving neighbor, leading change. Uh, you, could, you could say um, our vision is to be, become like uh, Jesus, right? If, if you want to think of a person who embodies that kind of life, think of the person, the life, the ministry of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, right? Jesus... Uh, exhibits love for God, love for neighbor, and he's a leader of change. Uh, uh, we've, we've sort of operationalized that just a little bit, right? Um, uh, instead of just saying, become like Jesus, be like Jesus, what would Jesus do? Uh, just to break that down just a little bit. Loving God, loving neighbor, leading change. It's our vision. It's our vision as a church. And uh, when we use the, the language of vision, um, let, me, let me just be really clear uh, what I mean by that. Um, 
probably 200 people in the room and probably 300 different definitions of vision. Uh, so when we're talking about vision, we're talking about um, sort of the big picture uh, of God's intention for God's people, right? So God, um, the, sort of this God-sized vision, it's, it's, the, it's the big picture of God's intention for God's people. It's God's intention for God's people in all times and all places. In other words, it's the calling that God has put on his people. It's, it's the calling that God has placed on the church in all times and all places. It's universal. It's eternal. That's the vision, right? And, and so when we talk about the vision of Memory Reformed Church, we're not, we're not trying to be unique and, and, and um, you know, carve out our own um, identity. Uh, that'll come later. But what we're talking about is what does it mean for us to participate in this big picture calling that God has established for his people in all times and all places throughout history? What does that look like for us? And so we talk about loving God, right, and loving our neighbor. And when we talk about that, uh, th this isn't just a sort of a, a secondary, hidden away, uh, little trivial piece of scripture that we're talking about, right? This is, uh, this is the great commandment territory. Right? What's the greatest commandment? Loving God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and, and loving your neighbor as yourself. So this, this idea of loving God and loving our neighbor is, is, is um, prioritized in the scriptures. It's huge in its significance. It's God's intention for his people in all times and all places. And then uh, leading change. This is uh, great commission territory. Right? This is going into the world. This is being light and salt. This is uh, making disciples. And in the Great Commission, it isn't just about conversion, but it's about transformation. Right? The Great Commission talks about teaching people, uh, teaching men and women and children, engaging our culture, engaging people around us in such a way that, that increasingly the culture around us can walk in the steps of Jesus as well. Right? So Great Commandment, Great Commission, loving God, loving neighbor, leading change, Big picture vision. This morning, what I'd like to do is focus just on the loving God part of our vision. I just want to stop and think about loving God. It's, it, it's easy for us to, to say, well, of course I love God. I love God, right? Um, or I don't love God, right? It's, it's sort of this binary thing. Um, I love God. I don't love God. I love God. Um, I don't believe that there's a God. Uh, whatever it is, it's just an on or off, yes or no, binary decision. And uh, what I'd like to do is to suggest that um, uh, that that there's a there's a there's a there's a space for growing into a greater and deeper love of God, and that's the invitation that we want to engage in this year. Is what does it look like for us not just to say yes or no, on or off, in or out, but what does it look like for us to say I'm engaging in a relationship with God that is demonstrably and effectively growing deeper and more profound. I'm actually growing more and more in love with God uh, over the course of the year. It's not just this balloon race, but there's a trajectory, there's a purpose, there's an intentionality to that, to that work. So I want to use this Psalm 1 uh, uh, to help us to, to understand what it is we're talking about when we're talking about growing in our love of God. And uh, the Psalm helps us by showing us uh, this contrast there's a contrast here, and the contrast will help us to see what it is that we're aiming at. The contrast will help us to establish um, our functioning. So the contrast is around this idea of delight. 
right? What do you delight in? Be, be just brutally honest with yourself for a moment. What is it that gives you joy? Right? Um, what, what delights your heart? What, what, what makes you happy? Where does your delight and joy come from? And if, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's not useful um, for that to be an aspirational answer, right? It's not, it, it's, it just let it be an honest answer. What is it that delights you? Where does your joy come from? And if you don't know where your joy comes from, find three people who are close to you and ask them where your joy comes from, right? Uh, and, and, um, and you may only see where your joy comes from in the absence of it. When something isn't going right or something isn't going your way or you don't have something that normally brings you joy, the absence of those things makes you um, despondent or sorrowful or angry or depressed. Uh, the absence of the thing that brings you joy might help you to see what it, what is it that brings, what, what, what do you delight in? There's a contrast that the psalmist is painting for us around this idea of delighting. So there's two individuals. The first individual is described as almost um, haphazardly walking down the street, right? Walking along, right? The verb is uh, kind of strolling along and um, just all thrust and no vector, right? Just aimlessly walking along. And as this individual is walking along, it's just sort of picking up bits of advice, bits of counsel, different ideas from uh, around him. And, uh, you know, it's sort of bright and shiny and something attractive and uh, catches his attention. And when I think of this individual strolling around, uh, looking at the bright, shiny, attractive pieces of uh, counsel and advice that, that, uh, that he happens to come along, um, I sort of think of window shopping, right? Have you ever gone window shopping, right? Maybe you, uh, you probably don't go window shopping in, in, Mid in Midland, uh, but um, there, I think there's a window downtown, but... Um, you know, if you go to, a, right, um, Tammy and I were in uh, Manhattan this summer and uh, window shopping, right? And, and you, you just kind of walk along and uh, you're not, you're not uh, um, particularly looking for anything. You're just looking in the windows as they present themselves uh, along your route. Uh, and, that's, and that's sort of the image of this individual. I'm just window shopping. I'm just walking along. No, nothing specific. I'm not uh, aiming to get anything. Uh, but just whatever catches my eye, whatever tickles my ear, right? Uh, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm attracted to that. And then the next step, then the next thing is this person is standing there in the store. Right now the person has, has, has seen something in the window, and now they've stepped into the store. Now they're standing there, right? They're trying something on. They're a little bit more deeply committed to this new, bright, shiny, attractive thing. Now it's not just how does this thing look, but how does this look on me? Right? A, a little bit deeper level of commitment. And then the third verb is sitting. Right? See it? Walking, window shopping, now we're in the store, and now we're sitting. And in the Hebrew language, sitting uh, has to do with uh, who you belong to. All right, it's, an, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, uh, a picture of belonging. It's who you sit with is where you belong. So if you sit with the men, you're a, you're a man, right? If you sit with the women, uh, if you sit with the Greeks, if you sit with the Romans, if you sit with the slaves, if you sit with the uh, powerful, right? That's who you are. You sit with who you are. So this individual now in the psalm has, has made the purchase, right? Has, has joined the club, has made the investment, belongs, sitting. So the psalmist is, is creating this image of an individual who's out sort of window shopping, something beautiful, attractive, 
desirable, catches your eye. Now you're in the store trying it on. And then you're walking out of the store and you've got a purchase. And that's one way to do life. Right? That's, that's a way to do life. Uh, it's, a, it's a picture of being almost passive. It's, it's just sort of latching on in the moment to whatever sounds right or feels good or makes me happy at that time. Right? Do, you see, do you see the contrast then that's beginning to emerge? Uh, from this individual who's just sort of aimlessly window shopping through life, picking and choosing the bright, shiny ideas and, and attractive activities that happen to catch your attention. Uh, 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 and then the, the contrast is with somebody who says, but on the other hand, uh, is this person who delights in God. Right? So, so uh, on the one hand, there's this person who's delighting in, frankly, these um, superficial, momentary, sort of aimless, haphazard experiences and ideas. And on the other hand, on the other hand, is this person who delights in God. Here's what that contrast is telling us, right? If I'm going to be a person who delights in God, uh, if I'm going to take joy, if, if my source of joy is going to be God, if I'm going to be a person who cherishes God, if I'm going to be a person who grows in my love of God, then there's going to be some deep work that needs to happen inside of me. Why? Because for many of us, it isn't that we don't love God. Most of us would say we love God. It isn't that we don't love God. But for many of us, the thing is that while we love God, we love our own happiness more. You say, well, that's offensive, right? Um, that, sounds, that sounds offensive. I don't love my own happiness more. But let me prove it to you, right? Um, I love my own happiness more. Many days I love my own happiness more. I know it. Why? This is how it happens. Have you ever had, have you ever had some principle, some value, uh, some, um, uh, some way of being that you said was important, and then in a moment you set that aside, right? Uh, you might say, sometimes, you know, um, nobody here would wake up and say, you know what I think? Uh, cheating is the way to get through life, right? The best course of action, if you can cheat, cheat, right? Uh, if, if, you know, if, if you have to cheat to win, cheat, right? Nobody, nobody here thinks cheating uh, is, is the value, right? Nobody thinks cheating is a principle. But everybody here has had some, some moment where you've at least flirted with the possibility of cheating. People, people, nobody here would say, I, I think the, the best course of action in life is to, is to lie your way through it, right? Be as dishonest and deceptive and manipulative as you can be. Nobody would say that. Nobody would say that out loud. But everybody in this room, everybody in this room, I dare say, has had a moment where you've at least flirted with lying. And Okay, everybody here has said a lie, right? Why do, you, why do you set aside a principle? Why do you set aside a value? Why do you set aside uh, a... a um, a, a cherished uh, um, behavior. Why do you sometimes break your promises? Right? You break your promises to others. You break your promise to yourself. Why do you have a standard and then, then you don't? Uh, then you break your own standard. Why is that? Why do we do that? Because the normal. Here's why. The normal, natural habit, the inclination of our heart. Is to say, I believe in principles. I believe in, I do. I believe honesty is a good value. I believe purity is a good value. I believe integrity is a good value. I believe in principles. All of those principles are good. And sometimes you just have to make an exception. 
right? Have you ever told yourself that? I'm just making an exception. Why? Why? What's, what's, the, what's the basis for the exception? The basis of the exception is this, that I have to be happy, right? The, the, that the, the, the basis of the exception is that these are all good principles, but there's a greater principle, and the greater principle is my happiness. And so I'll be honest unless being honest means I lose my job, and that would make me unhappy, so I don't do that. Or I, I, you know, I believe in not cheating, but if I cheat to win I don't, and that makes me happy, then I'll do that. I believe in doing something, but I'm not going to do that if I'll lose a relationship over. I want to be happy. And what that means is that there's an overarching principle, right? an overarching value. The top priority is that I'm seeking my own happiness, and everything else comes second or third. The kingdom of God is great. right? The law of God is wonderful, as long as it doesn't impinge on my happiness. So we said, you know, I'd like to serve God, I'd like to, 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 to be a good person and, and, and obey the Ten Commandments, but the non-negotiable, really, the non-negotiable is my happiness. And as long as the non-negotiable is happiness, what's this almost say? As long as the non-negotiable is happy, happy is, is my happiness. And uh, the psalmist says, I'm, I'm like the chaff. right? It's, it's like uh, dust particles that are just, right, just sort of aimlessly, aimlessly blowing uh, in the winds, all thrust and no vector. But loving God, right, cherishing God, delighting in God, finding joy in God is different. Now, some of you are noticing that the text actually says that this is a person who delights in the law of God and not uh, God himself. And you're hoping that there's some wiggle room there. Uh, after all, who actually delights in laws, right? Who, right? Um, sorry, I mean, some people delight in laws, but right, who, who delights in laws, right? I mean, who, 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 who says, you know, what I really want is to have more rules in my life, right? More rules to follow would be really good for me, right? Um, but while that's technically true, it's not poetically true. Here's what's, here's what's poetically true. That the law of God here, the language of the law of God, is language that covers all of the Bible. Right? This isn't just talking about the tablets of the Ten Commandments. It isn't just talking about the, you know, the dietary laws in, the, in, in, in Exodus or something. This is, this is a word that covers all of Scripture, all of God's words. Right? So this is a person who's saying, I cherish, I delight in, I love the words of God. And what do we know about the words of God? What we know is that for God, there's no distinction between God's word and God's action and God's self. Right? It's all one and the same. To love God is to love God's word. To love God's word is to love God. To love God's action is to love God's word and, and God's self. God's word and self and action are all one, one and the same. To love God's word is to love God. And so we, we, we read in Genesis that God creates by his word. Right? His word is his action. Uh, and, and, and we see that God's word becomes flesh. The person of God becomes a living, breathing word. The word of God, we're told, is alive and active. And so to love and to delight in God's law is to love and to delight in God. And to do so for God's own sake. To do so for God's own sake. In other words, I don't love God in order to get something from God. 
That's the catch. I don't love God in order to get something from God because that makes God just an instrument for my own happiness. That reasserts, again, the highest principle is my happiness. I delight in God for God's own sake. Do you know that you are already forgiven? Do you know that the cross was motivated by a God who already loved you and wanted to demonstrate that love for you in no uncertain terms? God loves you and delights in you. You are God's joy. And nothing can change that. In other words, you are already forgiven. You are already accepted. You already belong. And there's nothing that you can do that will make you be more accepted or more loved or more belonging. And there's nothing that you can do or not do to make you less so. You already have the maximal amount of God's love and God's grace. That will never change. There's no instrumentality to loving God. There's no transaction. When I love God, I love God for God's own sake. I delight in God for his own beauty. I'm drawn to him because of his own majesty. That's what it means when Jesus says to love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength and all of your mind. In other words, there's nothing, there's no, there's no duality of purpose. There's no division. There's no, there's no part of you that's saying, ah, if I love God, maybe if I go to church this week or if I, do a, you know, a, if I start the new year off with a, a devotional, right, there, if I just love God a little bit better, maybe things will work out differently for me. Right? There's, there, there, there's, there's, no, uh, there's no division of purpose to love God with my whole mind and heart and soul. It's to say to God, I love you for who you are, purely. That's what Jesus means when he says that the well-ordered life is a life that seeks God's kingdom first and God's righteousness first. And those things are not, in other words, God, God becomes the highest principle. Right? And it's not negotiated away because my happiness or my comfort in the moment might be threatened or some other bright, shiny object catches my attention in a window. Put it another way. Can you ever be happy then? Right? I mean, some, some of you are saying, okay, I, sh- I showed up at Middle Reform Church today, and what a downer this dude is, right? This, is, this sounds like a recipe for disaster. Who wants to sign up for a life of despair and misery, right? And, and I want to be really, really clear with you. This is not what we're saying. I believe that God is committed to your happiness. God is committed to your joy. God wants you to be a person who finds delight. Absolutely he does. And if you're a person who's saying, maybe I'll come to God. Maybe you're a person who's exploring faith. Maybe you're a person who sits and and says, you know, I'm interested in this Christianity thing. And maybe I'll bite. Maybe I'll give it a try. Maybe I'll take it out for a test drive. Right? Maybe, maybe I catch some, uh, something uh, uh, in the window, and I'll, and I'll just try it on. I'll see if it, how it fits me. I'll see if God makes me happy. And, and if you come to God thinking, this might make my life better. This might make me happier. This might help me to reach my goals. You have to understand that, that you're not coming to God. Right? W- when you say that, you're not coming to God. You're coming to some kind of cosmic butler or a genie in a lamp. But that isn't the God of the universe. The God of the universe is the creator. He created you. He made you. 
And so when you come to that God, you're not coming in order to get something. You're coming because that's where you belong. That you were made and fashioned and created to sit in the seat of God's lap, to sit in the presence of God. That's where you belong. That's where, you, that's where you're created to be, where God made you to be. So if, if God doesn't exist and you come to him for happiness, he can't make you happy because he doesn't exist. And if God does exist and you come to him for happiness, you're not really coming to God. When I come to God, when I love God, I love God for his own sake. It's the only way that it ever works. In other words, I love God for God's own sake. When I love God for God's own sake, I get happiness. On the other hand, when I love God because he might make me happy, I don't get either. Last thing I want to say. Loving God has two words attached to it in the starburst, right? On the one hand is worship, on the other hand is faith walking. The psalm is the entry point into the worship book of God's people, right? Psalm 1 ushers us into uh, what George Herbert called the temple, right? It's ushering us into a place of prayer and worship. So don't lose sight of that larger context. The larger picture is that the psalm is saying, and by the way, loving God in this way and delighting God and cherishing God in this way is what lies ahead as you come into this life of joining with God's people in worship and prayer. In other words, how do I become a person who loves God for God's own sake? How do I become a person who prioritizes God as the, the non-negotiable rather than my half? How do, I be, how do I grow in that direction? And the psalmist would say, exactly, come into the psalms, come into prayer, come into worship. Philosopher Jamie Smith says, we don't get to choose what we love, but we get to choose what we worship. And what we worship will train what we love. The invitation of the Psalms is to be a person who grows towards loving God by being a person who grows in worship. Make worship a priority. Enter into worship and don't negotiate worship away because something else that is shiny and bright and attractive comes along. Make worship your priority and you'll train your heart over time to love God for God's own sake. Faith walking is also a piece of learning to love God for God's own sake. It's a, it's, a, it's a tool, it's a lens for helping us to look inside and to say, what are the things that I have placed over God? What are the things, where are the places that, that I'm stopped in my ability to love God? Because I've, I've got some other interference in the way. By the way, we have a faith walking module beginning on the 22nd. If you've not done faith walking or if you are a person who's done it but you did it a long time ago or you did it with a lot of resistance, uh, I want to encourage you to engage that again. Begin uh, January 20th is a Wednesday. We're going to do a Wednesday series rather than the uh, weekend retreat format. I'll grow in my love for God by growing in my worship, by training my heart to worship, by training my heart to love. All thrust and no vector. 
Uh, it's easy to come into the new year and say, whatever's interesting, whatever is attractive, whatever catches my eye. Lots of energy, lots of power expended. The invitation of the psalmist is to say, move deliberately and meaningfully and intentionally towards being a person who loves God more deeply for God's own sake. And do whatever you need to do in order for that to happen. Because it's the only way to find life. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we do 